Okay, so we had on previous episodes, Philippe Andre mentioned a man named Pete, and my brothers, Mark and Paul Gross, also mentioned Pete. So I feel like Pete has become infamous. Yes. And we thought, why don't we expose him to the world? <laughs> By the way, it's not our fault after <laughs> he this. He does that every day. <laughs> Some of the things we get to on this pod. Uh, a question you should never ask a woodworker. Also, uh, the biggest advice Pete has for you if you are searching for your dharma. A love letter to my brother and to uh, you too, Jason. I love you. He loves you a little, a little maybe too much. I mean... You know, that's uh, that's hearsay. (laughs) It's all coming up. Welcome to the Cuz I Have To podcast, where living your dream is the only option. I'm your host, Julie Slater. And I'm Jason Friday. And we've been scouring the earth for people living their dharma so we can share their stories with you. And hopefully we help you find your dharma. Let's do it. So Pete, I guess just to explain, um, Pete is a family friend, really came into the picture uh, becoming friends with my brother Mark. And we've just experienced a lot of things with Pete, but you're very elusive. We don't really know what exactly you do. And what is your true passion, Pete Godwin? Wow. that. that- that is a very complicated question. Um, You've I got would 30 ha- seconds. <laughs> I would have to say, so I'm 53 years old right now. I'll be 54 in September. In that entire time, I think that if I were to package it all together, my passion as a across the entire spectrum of my life is travel. And the I was fortunate enough growing up to travel quite a lot. My father uh, was an accountant for a trip. My father was many things and he's still alive. In fact, I'm going to, I can elaborate, I I assume, on all of these things. So my father's turning 90 on April 2nd and and, um, obviously a a great influence in my life. We still actually get along relatively well. Before I was born, my father, you know, my father was, uh, uh, didn't have a father. His father passed away when he was 35, at seven years old and uh, was raised by his mother. And um, early on he was very independent, and he started doing odd odd jobs. He was a wine merchant, believe it or not. Oh, um, wow. He, he was nice. a, um, a lot of things. Um, he ended up becoming an accountant, and in fact, I, I found his exam results when he took the boards from God knows how long ago. There were written cards, index cards, showing the results. He, fi- he passed it after a couple of tries, and he became an accountant, and one of the companies he worked for was a travel agency called Foster Joyce Travel. Due to some seemingly poor mismanagement and all these uh, poor management and all this uh, all other issues, he ended up taking over the company. That travel business became the largest private travel company in, in New York City. So when I was young, I was born into a family. We didn't really have a lot of money, but we had free travel at a time when travel was far beyond the you know the, right. the means of most people. Yeah. Um, so you know, I when I was born, I was born in Manhattan. I went to public school, lived in a small apartment on. West 96, between Amsterdam and Columbus. The building's still there, actually. Five of us in a small apartment. And uh, one of my, our sister, um, I have a brother, uh, had a sister, passed away years ago. And so we lived in the small apartment and uh, went to public school. And my father was, you know, ended up doing this work. And we were lucky. We got to travel all over the world at a very, very young age. Uh, in fact, I have all the passports, I think all the passports from back then. Oh my God. <laughs> so when you travel in style, I mean, 
style is relative to the time period, but I mean, I was in the Soviet Union before the wall came, you know, before the Berlin Wall came down, before the breakup. I was all over the world at a very young age. Travel has been a huge influence in my life. That's one of the reasons I think Mark and I became, you know, best friends because the restaurant business, cooking, being a chef, especially a French chef, you have to travel if you really want to broaden your skills and learn about the world. Because the one thing we all have in common is that we need to eat. And I think that's what brought us together. When we moved to Evanston, I got married, moved to Evanston. We didn't have any kids. We would go to his restaurant all the time. Which is Oceanique in Evanston. Great restaurant. Obviously, it's a fantastic restaurant, and it's still around after all these years. You know, the big picture, my passion is travel. It's sort of an, it's not really a skill set. It's not really a, a trade, but what it is. So travel is a a passion of mine. And you're curious. Uh, there's really nothing as exciting as stepping off a plane and into a, a, a rickety car and driving off into the middle of nowhere and just going, wow, people live here. You know, no one speaks the language. I mean, I, I could give you stories, but you know, but you, you wouldn't believe them. You would, you would simply go, I mean, bullshit. I know my first time <laughs> going to Europe, you really, it feels, you know, you know, it exists, but when you go there, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is real. I don't yes. know that weird feeling. Like people live yeah. a different way. So it's that feeling, wild. that feeling that you get when you, you know, I had that feeling when I was maybe five, six years old. Though so too, it's uh, not to, to be flippant, but it's almost like an addiction. To get that same high, you have to do some really fucking crazy shit. You know, for example. Driving across the Silk Road through Uzbekistan and ending up in Samarkand, a place that, you know, who the fuck? Samarkand, you read about it in books, but this is a real, this is a real place. And seeing what, you know, the human race has produced in places that you will never go to or going to a chateau in Georgia out in the hills where wine has been made for millennia in a totally different way. They bury... They bury in things called coverts, these big clay pots. They bury their wine underground to age. Are you kidding me? You know, you heard of Georgian. <laughs> what? And yeah. how do you, and every place, you know, the, the thing that travel does for you, uh, it's a blessing. You know, it's one of the great blessings in my life that I've had the opportunity to do that. It, it shows you the, how innovative human beings can be because travel shows you all these different environments and, and, and the real core fundamental bedrock reasons why people are different all over the world. And you just look right past everything. You look past all of the bullshit and all of the, the conflict. It just disappears. I'm Jewish, but I've been in places where most people think that Jews are not accepted, but that's not. That's a, there's a difference between the people and the government, and everyone knows that, but it's beyond what you can even conceive. You know, it's like, there's, there's a hard line. There's a hard, a break between that. And people don't want to be defined by their governments in most places in the world. Mm. Um, It's just so different that, you know, without travel, without traveling the world, which you can do now relatively inexpensively, you will never really get to appreciate how ridiculously different our culture is from the cultures of almost everyone else in the world. And that's a good thing because it gives you the ability to empathize uh, and understand um, yeah, sure. better than, you know, better than uh, you would otherwise be able to living in, I don't know. If, I mean, there's nothing wrong with living in Montana or, or Wyoming or whatever. And there's a lot of happy and great people that do that, you know, 
it's not something I could ever envision myself doing. Do you feel like that's made you a better communicator with any type of person that could walk up to you? Oh, well, there's no question about it. I mean, I think that one of the, I'm a little bit of a, a crazy person, as you know, what? and I have. And I, <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding me. That was what? an understatement, no. listener. And, and, and so when I process like interactions with people, and this is something that I've had my whole life, um, you know, I've had the ability, the very unique luxury of being able to encounter people that are completely unlike me and then adopt skill sets, communication skill sets, or, you know, different ways of, of, of body motions, everything. It's like you, you, when you're a basketball player, you watch Jordan. When you're a tennis player, you watch, you know, Andre Agassi, whatever. When you're a human being trying to interact, you, you pick up on, you, you know, you, and this is something that just happens. You, you, read people based on their appearance, based on the words out of their mouth, based on who they're with, the environment that you're in. And it changes everything about you. A lot of that is chemical reactions, right? You know, why do you get the chills? They're chemical. Everything you do is, is chemical in nature, physical, physics. And so, you know, sometimes I don't, I mean, it's not that I read people. It's just that I sort of like put it in context and I have much broader context than most people have. So I can usually sort of pin down a relationship that is unique to a particular person with a very small margin of error. Um, can you that's read what I try Jason and I? Can I? Can, I, what, can you what read Jason and I? <laughs> Give us a psychological profile. Um, read us, CD. A psychological profile. Wow, that's a tough one. You know, I... I, for both of you, there's there's things about you that I just you know I'm so jealous of. Um, not just the, the careers that looks, you're in. It's looks, right? It, honestly, <laughs> I, my my look. Obviously, Jason is uh, just a, a very attractive we know man. You love we him. we know that. Okay, everybody comes to how good I look. We don't have to go there. We know that because I have no hair and he has lots of hair. Right? Okay. Right. I'm, comp- I'm compensating, yeah. but um, but with you guys, it's like you actually pursued passions of yours um, that, you know, and that's, I think, why I'm drawn to you and your family. In fact, your whole, you know, everyone, I, you know, that I, I try to, I try to understand, like, the risks, how to really take the, the chances and the risks and, and, and risk massive failure and, and great success. Yeah, but sure. not care about that as much as going down a path where it really makes you feel that you're, it gives you the, I'm getting the chills just talking about it, you know? Yeah. And, and I never, I don't think, I don't think I ever really did that um, growing up. I mean, I, I was a, a you know, a, a white Jewish boy growing up in New York. I, my, what, what I perceived to be my options in life were being a doctor or a lawyer. Or, or an, I don't know, maybe an investment banker or something. And that really, really restricted what I could end up doing. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't grow up learning music. I can, I can read music. I learned how to play the piano. Um, I didn't I, know that. Yeah, I don't think I, when I was that very either. When I was very young, yeah. And that was really wow. more, I mean, you know, I, enj- I mean, my, you know, as, as much as you say, my parents forced me to do things. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I even played the violin when I was a kid. And something I actually want to pick up. You know, I became, I, I used to run. Um, my father used to take me out running and I hated it. I would pretend I wasn't feeling well, wasn't sick. And it turned out to be, I was really a good runner. I, I was, you know, I ran track and I was long distance running. I ended up running, you know, several marathons. I was really good. And I find out that I'm good at the things that I, that 
I never thought I'd be good at, and that I got into not because of a passion, but because of sort of like this responsibility of being the good kid, the good child, you know? Yeah. And um, so in some ways, going down that path, and we all do that. We all have to do things that we don't think that we want to do. And it ends up being good for you, you know? I think well, our- you became a lawyer, and did, did, did that there become a passion, or did you not like it? Do you still think, do it? I don't even know. So I, I, so I became a lawyer. It was a great, it was a, a great experience. Law school, I think, was the best part of the whole experience. Not just because I made some great friends, friend, lifetime friends. One of them, uh, my friend John, it's his birthday today. Still a good friend. I mean, it's hard to believe that, you know, um, I've lost uh, friends. One in particular is devastating to me still to this day. Um, and that he hasn't passed away, but we just don't talk yeah. anymore because of something I did. Um, someone who really pursued his passion to like infinity. So law, lawyer, it, it was never really a passion. I mean, I tried to make it a passion. I tried to make it something. I really tried to be good at it. Um, I tried what kind to, of law did you do? So when I when I got out of law school, I worked for a, a law firm in Washington D.C. doing telecoms law. I represented cable companies, broadcasters, satellite companies, uh, in at a time when there was a lot of change in the industry. So it was pretty exciting, and it it was pretty close to like one of my real expertise, which is geekdom, computers. And I had a computer before anyone had computers. And I, I mean, it was like, I would shovel driveways and deliver newspapers. I would do whatever I can to get the money to barely pay for like one tenth of 1% of a computer. But <laughs> my parents, you know, felt, what the hell, get them a computer, you know, stupid money out the window, right? We could buy, a, we could buy maybe a fifth of a car, but we'll get Peter a computer. That was something that made the work I was doing. I ended up doing technology law a lot. And I still do a lot of that right now, uh, but I do it on my own terms. You know, it's like, I don't, I mean, I may hang a shingle out here in Washington. I, I did apply for membership at the state bar. I took an exam, not the bar exam. I've taken two bar exams because I moved from Washington, D.C. to Illinois. When I moved to Illinois, I had to take the bar exam again. But this is a, a special exam that you take. It's for attorneys that have been practicing for a while. So, so I, I, all the paperwork's in. Maybe I'll hang a shingle out here. There's a lot of tech companies out here. And I know a lot like a lot about technology and a lot about the legal aspects of it. But to say it's a passion, no. I mean, right now, if I were to say, other than travel, and, and I would have to say it's like uh, woodworking. That's it. And that only became a passion. I mean, ever since I met Bill, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys ever met Bill. You probably did, I right? I don't know. You, you, I don't know. Anyway, Bill was a, a guy that I met in Chicago and a carpenter, and he moved out with us to Los Angeles, and he lived with us in Encino, actually lived with us. Um, yeah. And he, he, he and I did a lot of work together, and he taught me everything. And I was never, you know, like Jesus, the Jew, was a carpenter. Pete, the Jew, was a disaster with power tools. You know, one of the, <laughs> one of the first things I did when I went, when I, um, not to, not to go off on a tangent, but one of the first things I did when we bought our house in Evanston was, uh, try to put up a new mailbox. And I took a drill, I, as you can see, I, I took a drill, power drill, right? And I put a, a piece of wood over my knee and I ran the drill no. into the wood and no. right into my knee. No. Yes. So that was like, that, that's where I started. 
Okay. <laughs> that was, and, and I'm prone to, you know, I'm accident prone. I mean, you know, my wife could tell you all kinds of stories about Pete being in an ambulance and ending up in hospital on the University of Chicago's campus because he had like something going on, right? His ankle was, he's got like, you know, uh, uh, an arrow through his hand or whatever, the, everything, right? That was like when I first moved to Evanston and then I met Bill, truly the most influential person. Yes. I mean, other than family, I'd say he was the most influential person in my life that got me into a passion that I never thought I would have any affinity for. So yeah, that's it. And, you know, unfortunately he's gone, but like I wear his clothes. I, his legacy lives in me and, and I still have tools of his and I use them all the time. I actually now have a shop um, which is the garage and the guest house. It's like a so dream come true for me. he got you into woodworking? Yeah. It was just kind of a weird thing. We were just, we, we had the same watering hole. We'd hang out the keg. We'd sit next to each other at the keg doing shots of Jack Daniels and having a beer. And, and we just became friends. And like, totally, he looks like Greg Allman. It looked like mm-hmm. Greg Allman. And, nice. uh, and we just got concerts together. And, you know, it's, uh, I miss him. I miss that motherfucker. Um, but I still, I mean, part of it is, I enjoy it. The other part is that his legacy has to live on in somebody. Mm -hmm. And I take, like the way he taught me, better than teaching anyone else, hands-on. And I do that with other people. I try my very best to to pass on the, not just the skill set of woodworking, but also the, 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 the method of teaching someone how to teach people to do something. Something that's really fucking dangerous sometimes. Like his mentor, older fellow who passed away, he did, he was missing a thumb. And this guy was like, you know, Norm, he was like a master carpenter. And Bill, and when Bill passed away, he had 10 fingers, 10 toes, both eyes. And so, you know, um, for someone who's accident prone to say that his passion is something that is absolutely one of the most dangerous things. You, yeah, you can do world's deadliest catch, but you can also pick up a saw, which can... <laughs> kill you easily. But because he taught me that patience and that, and the skills and then the patience in a way that no one's ever taught me anything. So yeah, that's really where I, you know, I, I feel that if I were to have all the time in the world, and I do have a lot of time, I, I would spend most of it. And I have since moving out here to Bainbridge. What have you built? It's not what you, never ask no. that question. Oh. It's not what you build. So the one, well, I built a few things, but that's not the, 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 the beauty is like getting your workspace the way you want it and building things in the workspace to organize your life, your tools. When we worked together in, 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 in Encino, I mean, we remodeled that whole house, like every inch of it, building decks and a shed out here. I built some furniture, but mostly like shelving and, 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 um, yeah, I just Wait. wanted to get an idea if you were like oh. building birdhouses or something. Oh no! So I, I the 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 one functional thing for everyone bird that I built it is it is a nice. Oh, I, yeah, for the birdhouse is like, are you kidding me? The, yeah, you know that doesn't really demonstrate a skill set beyond a fucking birdhouse, right? No. So I'm sorry, so, um, birdhouse builders who are listening. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. You got to like I said, hole in the knee from a power drill, right? From there to I mean, I have the skills to pretty much build anything. It's just a matter of time. It takes time. And working alone, it's hard to build big things working alone. So yeah, um, so right now my shop is under construction. I'm, I'm insulating it, uh, drywalling it, and then I'm – so that it becomes – because it gets cold out here. Whereas in Los Angeles, you just roll the tools out of the shed and you can – year-round, yeah, right? You're good. So, yeah, sure. 
So anyway, that's a long-winded answer about, you know, I'd say travel and carpentry are the two things. Um, so that, I would think woodworking yeah. has saved you during COVID because you're definitely one of the people I thought of, you know, Mark and Paul being chefs in COVID times and having to close their restaurants. But you, you were never home and you've had never, to be home. Never home. I was on the road and like every job that I took, like I would always, you know, like when I first moved to Los Angeles, I, it was for a client that hired me while I was still in Chicago. When I moved to Los Angeles, it was like, oh yeah, I'm working for this guy, crazy guy. And I'm not gonna go into details, but it involved like a lot of travel. It was really fucking interesting, I, you know? And so I try to whittle my way into, even when I was in DC, working in DC or in Chicago, working for MCI, I did a lot of traveling. So it's always nice. Uh, I work with companies in Korea. I've worked with companies in Japan. Mark knows that. And uh, so it's, you know, you can always find a way to, Work. When you can't travel, what do you do? What I would do is I would get up in the morning, I'd put on like sweats or whatever, and I'd go to the shop. And then I'd go, okay, hmm, what next? You know, I would, I had, I, I installed a TV in the shop so I could watch videos on techniques to do certain things. Oh, and nice. then I would, you know, I made it my little home away from home. And that got me through, uh, that has gotten me through a lot. And, uh, and also, I mean, exercise. Like, so I outdoor during the summer. I mean, I, I I get on my bike and I ride or less frequently I, I run. I used to run, but, you know, my back's in bad shape. And so biking has, you know, been one of the things that I do when the weather's good. So when travels back up. Do you think you'll be back to traveling all that time? Well, the moment like I get my vaccinations. Yeah. Like I'm going to, you know, like right now. Like, so recently, recently, the past 10 whatever years, I've been traveling with my father, just the two of us. You know, once a year at least. Um, that trip to Uzbekistan uh, was one of the trips we took. The one to the Southern Caucasus, Armenia, Georgia, yeah, yeah. Azerbaijan. Um, yeah. uh, we've been to. We've been. I mean, I mean, we have been every everywhere, right? And um, some beautiful city. Istanbul is one of the greatest cities. God, I remember that. There was a restaurant that just did a pop up, a street food thing, and the and the chef was. Uh, from Istanbul. And I was telling him, Oh God, I miss it. I miss it. And I was, you know, I know a lot about a lot of cultures, right? So I know, obviously I know what they drink, right? You know, I know the, the, I mean, I know all the fundamentals and the things that locals are passionate about. Right. And they're like, how do you know that? That is the thing that just like, Oh, it makes me feel like, God, I can actually communicate with someone on a level that they rarely communicate with, you know, white boy American dude, right? <laughs> right. You must have loved they, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, man. I mean, that guy's, you know, I mean, in so many ways, he is like the, you know, the, the, the thing about Bourdain that I liked, and I know everyone has different perspectives and chefs have different ones, is that his ability to communicate yeah. to people of all levels of experiencing now i sat next to him one time i think mark and i were at the restaurant we were at animal or um uh in um L and he was sitting next to us uh was it animal or what was the seafood one by the same chefs in la bizarre oh no 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 uh, it was it's in the same area so you know by the same guys that dot Mac and that do um uh the the italian place anyway we were sitting right next he was there you know I can't, I'm, I miss him and he was something, but he could communicate with people on a level that made it just so unique. Um, he, you know, it wasn't just, and he was very creative. He was a writer, you know, not just a chef and a travel yeah. aficionado, but also a writer and a, and a communicator. And you, you know, you both can appreciate that because you communicate with people, you know, yeah, big time. Like, yeah. You know, so yeah. So yeah, he was something. Damn. 
he's, he's going to be missed. He is. What would you, what would you say? Um, you spent a lot of time with my brothers, Mark and Paul, the chefs that we had on the previous episode. Uh, what would you say is the biggest thing you've learned through them, I guess, about food and wine? Wow. You know, that's something that I, it's, it's so hard to put it in. I think I knew, I wanted to talk about that and I wanted to be eloquent about it and, and brief and, but there's no way to do it. So I think it's that I've learned and it's, it's kind of canned response, but I've learned to appreciate food in a way that I've never had before. It's like, I, I said, I say to people thinking about Mark and Paul, I say to people, I said, if you ever want to do some, one of the greatest things you can do for yourself in life is to befriend a chef. There's nothing else really, because we're talking about an occupation that is geared and dedicated towards sustaining other people, right? In, in a way that doctors can't, doctors will solve problems that you have, right? You get sick, you go to a doctor or to help prevent illness. With a yeah. chef, you need to eat. Is it going to be, you know, and with whatever you have, you need to eat. So really the trade itself is unique. Um, and also the, the language that they use is unique. And so you have to, it, it's, I'm sure it's not just any chef, you know, the story that they were talking about there, there um, uh, early, early on and how Training. abusive the, the business was, right? But yeah. look what happened. You've got two guys that are just fucking geniuses at what they do. Yeah, literally. Um, you know, and also, so, so not just, obviously, knowledge about what you're eating, right? Um, that's easy. Of course, it's good to know what you're eating. The other thing is, what makes something good, right? Knowing why, you know... Even if it's not food that you like, what makes it good? Because that knowledge is something that will carry you to other things, you know? So that's like one of the, you know, I mean, and, and having traveled with Mark, as you know, all over the world. I mean, we've traveled a lot together. I've had the, that wonderful luxury that it, I will never be able to repay. You know, I, I try to do that. I, I really try to do that. But he's brought me into his fa family. You got, you know, and I'll never be able to repay it. I can only do my best. Um, you know, be there when he needs me, you know, help yeah. him, whatever. Um, when he needs Rolling Stone tickets, help him get them. If, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, we, you know, we had yeah. tickets. We were going to go uh, to Michigan. Uh, we were going to go see the Stones and I had, we got the tickets. But son of a bitch, man, um, yeah. we, we can't go. So, yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, understanding and the things that I've intuited or, or, or sort of resolved about it is that the environment you're in, you know, everything, like I said, early on, so everything that you do in your life and every, every reaction you have is chemical, right? I mean, we know, we know this, right? We, I mean, it's not like a mystery. That's why certain medications for mental health disorders or they work because they have chemical interactions and change the way that you perceive your world and yourself. And it's the same with the environment that you eat, your taste buds, everything, the way your brain perceives food, it's all chemical reactions. And part of those chemical reactions are responses to the environment you're in. When you're sitting down at a restaurant alone with no one and it's cold and you're miserable and the chef's an and, the, and the waiter's an asshole or whatever, the food you're going to eat is probably not going to be as pleasing. But when you're with someone who's knowledgeable in an environment that's great, and generally speaking, you'll be able to get out get out of something that's even not great food more. And yeah. uh, we had a we had a dinner one time in in uh, Marquetaya in, in in Paris. The air condition it was the middle of summer. The air condition didn't work. We were dressed you know nicely. It was a fucking shit show. But you know it worked out great. Yeah, we were our physical like 
the sweat beating on her head. It was like, ah, this sucks. Give us more water. And when you get water, of course, in Europe, no fucking ice, right? It's like a torture chamber, right? <laughs> oh, the ice machine, it's a broken. And the fuck are you, white boy? So, so even though we were sweating our balls off and we were like, oh, God, please, no more coffee, whatever. It was a wonderful meal. And, you know, and, uh, and then we even sat around afterwards and enjoyed a cigar and some whiskey. It was just like, you know, being with people that are knowledgeable, it has these changes and make, it makes the experience great, which is why I, I tell people in, in like candidly, and I just want to share that, that gift, befriend a chef. Whatever you have to do, find a way to do it. Because if you do, it will change your life. And it has changed my life. I've been talking about it for God knows how long. And I miss Mark. I mean, I miss you guys, of course, and I love you all. But Mark is a special place in my heart because, sure. you know, it's like um, he even let me work in the kitchen. Paul let me work in his kitchen when uh, you, I don't know if you remember that. I heard you burned a lot of toast. No, I did that. <laughs> I did that because I needed to elevate their stature by bringing in this wild card, what they call the Pete factor. <laughs> I elevated the status of everyone else. I made it seem like, well, no one's, it's not Pete at least, right? <laughs> you know, so, so yeah. So, you know, and of course now I, I do a lot of cooking now. We, at home, we, I'm a much better cook, something that I never really had to do. Hillary's a good cook. So I don't Your have wife. to really, yeah, you she's good. You have a good. wife and son. Yes. So my wife is, maybe you want to give him a little shout out. Go Hillary. She's saving the world. So that so yeah. one of my missions in life is to make sure that she is as happy and comfortable as humanly possible. So you're a great husband. That's so weird. I try. I mean, I try. <laughs> try. You can. Ask. She'll say yes. There's as with everything. To some extent. As with mother-in-laws, there's the benefits and the burdens, right? But, but yeah. <laughs> you're a handful. We know that. But um, you know, funny. but it's. I think it's important that you know we've been. I've known Hillary since we we were in college, like 1985, 86, or something ridiculous like that. And we just ended up getting together. And so, even though I have a lot of baggage, you know, I know what the right thing to do is, uh, as close to objectively right. And and I know she appreciates it, you know. Whether it's like last night, I, I cooked impossible burgers, God help me, which were fantastic on pretzel buns. Or if I'm doing like, I've made some really nice meals. Learning this whole sous vide thing, by the way, holy shit. It's yeah. game changing. Game changing. Oh, that's I, the, uh, where you cook the like a fish in a bag in a hot water, right? Yeah, For people who yeah. don't know what it is. I right. was going to ask you about that because so, we so were the, at your house when you got that, and we were like, yeah. "Holy shit, we got to check Mark, this out!" Mark made something. Oh, Mark, or Mark bought Mark That's, bought my right. first immersion heater. Sous vide means uh, under vacuum. That's the term. It means that, but the in application, what it is is you're cooking food in a vacuum. It does not be a perfect vacuum, and you submerge it, and then you circulate water at a at a fixed temperature. So you can get absolutely perfectly cooked whatever. Then you can finish it any way you want. I usually sear, like if it's a steak, I'll sear the steak or whatever it is, um, or grill or something, you know. And now I have a chamber vac, which is, so you know how those food saver things would suck the air out of the, right? Yeah. Bullshit. Because when you suck air out, you suck everything else out. You suck the juices and the marinade. It's like a, it's a shit show and it's a mess. Wow. Everything gets, so, but this it's chamber vac. The chamber vac, you close it, it creates a vacuum. It's like outer space. And when it's done with creating that vacuum, it doesn't suck air out. It removes the air, the, it changes the atmospheric pressure in the chamber so that it's kind of like go, going up in a plane where the 
and you come down and the and your a bottle that looked full scrunches, right? Yeah. You didn't suck anything out of the bottle. You change the environment yeah. that wow. the bottle is in. And and doing that, this the technique itself is just like I'm on all these Facebook groups with these crazy people. Oh, I sous vide that for four four years at 135. Yeah, it was, you know, and I, whatever. There's people that are just obsessed with it. And the reason they're obsessed with it is because it works. It's it's like scientifically, you know, it's kick-ass. Wow. It doesn't work for everything, but I've done vegetable, everything. So, so yeah, that was another thing, you know. And you want to preserve like a little, you know, nugget of, of, of weed, vacuum seal that fucker, it'll last forever, you know. <laughs> It's a good technique. That so, is a good technique. So yeah, that that's the, uh, you know, and of course, traveling the world, I eat food. I've had, I mean, some of the food I've had, you don't even want to know. It's just not, it's nasty What's the shit. most, yeah, what's the, like, cringiest thing you've eaten? I mean, I've eaten, like, lamb's eyeballs and shit like that, oh, you know, which is, shit. like, big deal, right? That's nothing. I, I, th- I mean, every every component of every animal is is devoured wherever you go in the world right there's nothing left except stuff to make jewelry out of that's that's yeah. the world our world as as ugly americans is we throw out 90% of the stuff it's a fucking disaster right we just have to change our ways but if i were to say the one thing that i just couldn't keep down was something called stinky tofu stinky tofu is it's like this rancid um fermented soy you know what tofu is right it's like soybean yeah i didn't and i i had that i ordered that at a restaurant in orange county california can't remember the name of it very famous like pretty well known so this is going to be your weirdest grossest item is in orange county it it <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised it, it sent me reeling it was so nasty but it was the smell it's just beyond like it's bad now i've seen I mean, I've eaten horse. There's really nothing else other than that. I've eaten everything that's been put in front of me except that. So wow. you can imagine, like, think about when you watch on TV, like, okay, I've never had monkey brains or something, but I've never been served it. I've had horse, you know, where was that? Uh, where, where the hell was that? Uh, Armenia or something. I can't remember. I mean, I've had all kinds of crazy shit. Look, if there's a living beast or a plant or something, <laughs> you're going to eat You've it. You've eaten it. You're going to yeah. eat it. And yeah. you really don't have much of a choice because, you know, like, what are you going to, you're going to be the idiot who just like steps away from the opportunity to do something that no one in their right mind would get involved with. Right? Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, I've done it, you know. And, have you and, ever jumped uh, off a cliff for fun? Uh, jumped out of a plane. I've jumped off a cliff, but not like a really high cliff. Like I've jumped into, oh, and it's a law school. Cornell, there's, in Ithaca, New York, there's gorges. And there's a place where you can jump off into the gorge. Scary as all fuck. It took me, I was up there looking down going, I'm not doing it. And I just said, fuck it. And I jumped in. Um, but jumping out of a plane, the first. I've done that. That's pretty yeah, fucking I love crazy. That. It Wasn't is. that so fun? I hated oh, yeah. it. Hated yeah, it. I don't know how she hit. I almost I really... up and I had head pain. I felt so free. I wanted to become an instructor. I loved it that much. The free fall to kill my was just yeah. like, holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. You're just falling and that's it. And and there's nothing you can do about it. And once you come to terms with that, that was yeah. it. And then once the parachute, it's like, it's noisy as all hell. And then you pull the chute and then it's quiet. It's just Pure like, silence and shit. peace. Yeah. Right? There is yeah. something about when you're in the plane and you're about to jump out. That is a feeling of, what am I? Doing. I went with someone. I went with 
a guy who had been jumped out of planes many times. You know, you got skydiving a dozen, two dozen times. He wouldn't do it. He got scared. And he'd been doing it. He'd done it before. Wow. And that's sort of like, um, hold on a second. He's not doing it. And he's done this before. Is there something he's seen? That I, yeah, I mean, no boom, They push your, they push your <laughs> fat fucking ass right out. You're like, whoop, you plummet into the abyss. So, <laughs> so that, yeah, I mean. I mean, I've done crazy shit. That wasn't the craziest thing. Anyway, we don't. We're not going to go anywhere near. Not going to get into that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I like. So you've really gone over a lot of passions. So people listening, you know, we're we're helping people find. A lot of times, some people just don't know what their passion or dharma is. What's your best advice for people finding out? Like you tried something new, like you never thought woodworking would be something. What's your best advice? Yeah, I think the best advice, and I'm not one to give advice. I mean, I you know. It's and it's not that I know. You, know, you know, I've made more mistakes than than I've had successes. Obviously, that's the way most people are. And sometimes you and you learn more from the mistakes. It's just the reality of it. Right. Yeah. I would say meet as many different people during your limited time on Earth as you can, because even the ones that are dicks fuck you over. And I've been fucked over many times. Even the ones that seem like at first impression that they're flaky or whatever, give it a chance and do it again and meet someone else. And every encounter, and this is what I try to do with, I really, really try to make every single encounter with another human being be more than just a transaction. Um, I just bought a shed recently in my backyard. You didn't build it yourself? Hmm. Oh, this big 10 foot, 10 foot by 20 foot shed. I need a lot of space. Oh my and God. It's big. Um, and yeah. And I, and I built the shed. Bill and I built the shed out back in our house. Um, but this was just too much and I needed it. The cost, unfortunately, nowadays, most things like the cost of being a woodworker is like a, it's almost impossible to make money because you can buy the materials, you can do the work and it'll be cheaper just to get it from wherever. Anyway. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I bought this shed. I, I went into the, got the office and I sat down this guy, Tony, sitting opposite me. And it was just a trans. I'm buying a fucking shed. What do you do? That's the shed I want. I pointed to shed number 51 out on the in the parking lot, right? And I looked on his wall and I saw that he had, um, you know, it was a, a, a plaque from a aircraft carrier, I think, with his name on it. And then there was a flag. You know how they fold flags up in the diamonds. And um, I liked the guy. There's something about him that I really liked. Not just that he was selling sheds, which were made out of predominantly out of wood, but there was something about him. His his. So I, I said, so you you were a squid, you know, you you were you were in in the navy at some point in time. He's like, what are you talking? About? I said, well, you know, you've got. I Bill was in the army. I learned a lot about the military. Something I wish I kind of could think back. I wish I would have would have been involved with. It just wasn't my path. Again, how many Jews? Yeah, whatever. Right. So, so I I said. You know, I, I said, and then that little nugget of seeing somebody, we, we talked for like two hours just, and he told me his life, he basically told me his life story and his passions and, and it just brought tears to my eyes. Like hearing this guy, I really, I may never meet him again, you know, mm. but it's that experience that, that moment, that brief moment in my life will never leave me. I'm talking about it now. I could be talking about like fucking a great great concert or I could be talking about a friend or something, but that moment yeah. only happened because, well, it happened because I had developed a skill or a desire or whatever it is to engage with people. Now, I think right now in this environment that we're in, it's important. I mean, it, not being able to go out to dinner with people or travel or it's important. And, you know, maybe that's what brought it out of me, but I've always tried to be like that and really tap into something. It's selfish. I think in a lot of ways, because 
before I die, I want to learn as much I can about everyone, about everything, right? But it's also, I want, I want every interaction. I want to give something back to every interaction. I really try. And in some ways, it's just not, it doesn't work in my favor. It's a lot of assholes out there. And you're like, okay, you're, you're nice to someone and then they take advantage of you. Fine. Lesson learned. But had I not done that with this guy, I never would have, I mean, what his history, there were things he couldn't even talk about because he was like, yeah, my, you know, he was in military intelligence. He was in the Pentagon. And then on top of that two hour conversation, he was having problems with his computer, like getting this, oh, this is how it started. He was having problems getting the order into his computer and he was running to, I said, Tony, this is my gig. Okay. If you just let me take over, I can show you. <laughs> how to do this, how to sort files in a finder window so that you can find the most recent one. It'll take me two minutes. That two minutes will save you the last 10 minutes of your life. And that's how most interactions start by giving something of yourself, right? Because if you walk into an, if I, it's one thing I learned in therapy is that you should always talk about yourself. If never say we, never never say we, right? Years (laughs) of therapy. Um, We, we. You know, if, if I, in my experience, when I offer up something of myself, it comes back tenfold, a hundredfold, like a fucking slot machine that's just jackpotting out. And it really did. I mean, and because it brought back all these memories of, of, uh, of my friend Bill and my other friend Mike, the, the Filipino. Philippine Mike, we call him. But I think he moved back to the Philippines, actually, and because um, they were both in the military. And it's still with me. And it, I, it puts a smile on my face. It gives me the chills, that interaction and getting, you know, you know. So that's something I'd say if I were to, and I'm not one by any stretch, to offer advice, literally about anything, okay? If there's something that I can offer, it would be that, that um, especially in times of need, when you need companionship that only human beings can give you. Sure. Give something of yourself. really beautiful, Pete. Yeah. Well, thank you. But that's that's really that, you know, I'm glad, you know, I've always wanted to to do this little podcast thing with you because I never, you know, I've done crazy shit. I ran for mayor and I had platforms and all this bullshit and and I've never had the opportunity just to sort of, other than in therapy, my men's group, my men's, and that's still, it's not the same because you're focused on very specific aspects of your life. Yeah. You know, rarely do you talk about your passions when you're with a bunch of guys in the men's group or you're pounding drums on the, on the beach or you're whatever, or you're in individual therapy. You don't really talk about, you talk about the things that make your life difficult and how you can improve them. You really talk about the things that can help other people and how they help you too. And so this is really, I'm not a very religious person but this is a blessing what you guys are doing for me you're giving me the ability to to share this and it's really you you're know, gonna make me cry i, I know like dude crying. shit jesus yeah but really honestly this is what you are doing now giving people this opportunity is a blessing it really is just listening to mark and paul talk about their you know the work that they have devoted their life to shit yeah. i mean that's gold that's it's sacred you know um, it's better than any fucking bullshit uh, that you hear on the news every day, you know, which is just, what the fuck? What what do we do with our lives, you know? <laughs> Are you seriously, we're worried about all this bullshit. We're all homo sapiens, right? Our yeah. genetic makeup is the same, yet everything right. we do, it's like entropy. We create maximum chaos in our lives, even though we're all exactly the same. 99% of us the same, you know? Yeah. And this is what the fuck happens. so what can i do i try to do Uh, what i try to make dinner every night you know for my family i try try that because it's what i can do today so yeah that's very sweet and honorable and by the way this might be a great segue into our it's five o'clock somewhere run on baby (laughs) you ready to play the game i'm ready um this is a real quick one 
Question number one. It's five o'clock in Los Angeles. What time is it in Japan? Oh, um, it's, I think, 13 hours the next day ahead. We wanted a time. Oh, uh, uh, We're so just it's, uh, how your brain works. it's six, uh, 7 a.m.? Oh, 7 p.m. Hold on. 7 a.m. the next day. I'll say 7 a.m. the next day. That was good. I don't even know, but I just wanted to have you answer That's the best guess. I I have a call with someone in Korea coming up soon. I I, I should know this off the top. But I don't need to. Technology tells me I don't need to know that, right? (laughs) I just know it's always night there when it's day here. It's all fucked up. Yeah, exactly. I know. Fail. I'm going to fail my test if I get one more wrong, right? Well, that's like that's like New Zealand is five hours behind or four or five hours behind our current time, but a day ahead, if that makes that's sense. That's right, because it's across yeah. the international deadline, right, exactly. which is what Japan is. Yeah. You know, that's that's it. Um, yeah. 5.26 a.m. now, so it's not quite that. It's more like whatever. Yeah. So, so uh, okay, failed. Next. <laughs> well, I said it was 5 o'clock. I said it was 5 o'clock in L.A. But I also yeah. didn't say whether it was 5 a.m. or p.m. That's so true. On that. we I, just, I assume p.m. We, uh, because all I'm thinking about is my next cocktail. Yeah, right? <laughs> I know. What time is it? Is it cocktail 30 yet? <laughs> 3.30. Is, it keeps moving up, you know? <laughs> I know. This is a protein right. shake, by the way. There's no yeah. alcohol in this. Okay. <laughs> Question number right. two. How many countries have you been to? Wow. Um, I'll say four dozen. Jesus. Maybe. <laughs> Ballpark. Oh I mean, it has ballpark numbers. I mean, I, I, I could probably give you yeah. a precise. All right. Answer. No, that's that is a very fine answer. Okay, the most unusual place of those four dozens. Wow. <laughs> um. And which was the scariest? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Um, the weirdest place. Was that the first question? Unusual, unusual. Most unusual, yeah. Unusual, I will say the Soviet Union was the most unusual place. Uh, Or that and and China and Beijing. And this is way back when. Like, this is not when there were no Americans in these places. Like, we were the only fucking, other than reporters and diplomats. So those two places, weird shit. Weird shit. Um, Do those come under scariest as well? No. Scariest would probably be a, a pretty recent one. We went. I went with my father to uh, to the Caucasus, Azerbaijan first, then Georgia, and then Armenia. And if you know anything about Nagorno-Karabakh, there's an area of conflict between Azerbaijan and, and Armenia. Now we're just tourists. You know, we don't pose any risks. But I'm like military age, or I, I try to look it. And I had to go. I mean, when I went from Azerbaijan, my passport was stamped, and I got to Armenia. I, my father, just an old man with a kid, whatever, goes right through. I was interrogated, not really, but I, I was questioned for like two hours. There was, I was just a tourist. But because of that, that conflict between those two, those two countries, they had to question me. They had to do this. Meanwhile, my father's God knows where he is. He's, you know, on the other side of the, the border, whatever the hell it is. That was, I gotta say, I was a little worried. Not, not for myself. I got nothing, you know, whatever. I was worried for my father because he was pretty much alone out there. And yeah, no even good. though he's a seasoned traveler, 90 years old, you know? Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. To finalize the question. Uh, oh, it, right. is... <laughs> it's funny that um, you've gone so many places, but my dear friend Linda lived in the Congo for like five and a half <laughs> wow. years. And that you were, you were like, 
I would never go there. <laughs> so and I, I was like, wow. So this so. On, on, in terms of scary travel, my wife's been to to, to Africa, had some very scary experiences there. Um, her, she grew up in a family of biologists, scientists, and they would. she was collecting snakes when she was like, I don't know, five years old or something. She had a really scary experience um, out there. Uh, for me, it was really scary. They, she had, they had to land their plane in the, they had to land in the Central African Republic. It was a small little nation that's like constantly under conflict and her plane landed there and I was like scared shitless for her. And I was, you know, that must have been scary. Man, that must have been scary. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I go to some of those places. Congo? Yeah. Not, like, and, and there's a, one of my wife's former colleagues at UCLA works works in the DRC. Yeah. That's okay. a scary fucking place, man. And, um, yeah, no, not, not for me. Not, <laughs> All no, right, we're doing no. real well on quick answers, everybody. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Question, question That's number not my, three. My thing. <laughs> three, three. What did you <laughs> Yeah, that, that was only question two, Petey. You can only do one thing for the rest of your life of all these things. What would it be? Food, wine, woodworking, computers, traveling, family time, other. Oh, oh wow. Well, it's saying family time is not fair. Um, because once right, We'll take family time out. Travel. Okay. <laughs> woodworking, never again. You're never going to woodwork again. No more birdhouses for you. I... <laughs> You you just you you pigeonholed me and I gave you my answer. Yeah. There you okay. <laughs> Question number four. Biggest failure. Oh fuck. Biggest failure. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, there's just no. They're all no. really big and they're all fucking ugly. Okay. <laughs> um. I don't even know what that means, honestly, because like I I don't think there's failures. I mean, what's a failure? What does it no, what does sure. it mean to fail at something? That you right. go out to pass a test? Okay. Yes, you can fail the test. But there's nothing else there's no answer that can be given. Business ventures failed lots of them, of course. Sure. Right? What do you what's failure? Yeah. Fuck. Oh like biggest failure? I will tell you. My friendship with this uh, this friend of mine, I'm not gonna mention mention any names, but that was my biggest failure. I will never get over that. Never. Yeah. Wow. Um, it, it kills me. It like it, it, it's it's a it's a big chunk of my heart that is gone. It'll never get back. And it's something that you caused the problem. I, yeah, of, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's everything. Well, Every relationship is mutual, but it's sure. something that no, no, no. It's always you know, a two way street. And, yeah. And and I I feel like I'm you know I'm trying to do something impossible, which is make up for that every day of my yeah. life. And uh, so, but Got it's it. made it has made me a better person. Unfortunately, it will never. It will never change that. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, question number five. Name one thing you can't do that you wish you could. Run another marathon. Oh, really? Because you can't wow. because of your back? I can't. I, you know, I just can't do it. Um, I, wow, the feeling? Huh. There's I've nothing run, uh, like two it. marathons in a week. Really? God. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I The only thing I would like to do is run the New York Marathon. Did but, that. Did oh, that did. One. Yeah, oh, I mean, I, I guess I'd like I to say Chicago and Chica Long Beach. Chicago was my fastest one. I almost qualified. I mean, I came pretty close to qualifying oh. for what Boston. What was your time? Three twelve, three thirteen, something oh. like that. Yeah. Wow. So, I was, I think, five thirty-one, and I was quite proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> but Chicago is a great one because it's flat, right? I've done my first marathon well, was San Francisco. Flat. Oh, San Francisco. That's a, I that think was a, a lot fucking nutcracker. No, that, that, that sounds like a triathlon. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That was a tough. But that was my first one. My my uncle Mike, my my mother's uh, brother, got me into running, and uh, 
Yeah, I think I had four or five. I think I read four or five marathons. I can't quite remember. But the Chicago was a good one because it was fast. Still didn't qualify for Boston, well, motherfucker. You know, when I did Chicago, it was it was really hot and humid, uh, like in the 90s. And they ran out of water. And they they ended up having to, in the middle of the race, I was at like mile 15. They were like, stop running. They had to cancel the race. Yeah. Great work, Chicago. Yeah, really. Real great work. That's brutal. Holy it's shit. brutal when, you, when you're training for something that is so difficult. Um, right. You know, especially for people like us, we're not like, you know, elite athletes, right? So when, when yeah. we do something like this, it's like a soul, it's like a, like a adventure, like a life journey type thing, you know, and not that it's not important for everyone, but man, that must have sucked. Like a oh mother. yeah, I was God. I was pretty upset about it. So luckily, a week later, Long Beach had a marathon. So I was like, because I didn't want to, you know, you've been training all this time. So I just ran the marathon the next weekend. Yeah, good for you, rock. Yes. Nice. <laughs> you know, uh, I found a picture. By the way, remember we saw that Tom Petty concert? I, I was just going through pictures, and I found one of us standing in front of the limo. Oh. That. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That was I mean, such that was the a last rad. Time I saw Tom Petty. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. That was a great time. With Karen Weiss. That's right. I I do want to see, I want to get a real good look at some Steve Winwood music. I mean, that's the one thing that I kind of regret that we didn't get to see that whole set. Oh, yeah. I mean, we saw him play Higher Love. Yeah. Uh, No, we saw him play um, uh, Low Spark, a High high Heel Boy, didn't we? Oh, maybe two. Maybe two. Maybe a couple songs. songs. Anyway, I want to. By the way, uh, you'll love this one, Pete. Uh, Jason and I had kind of just met in that night. Jason told me he loved me. Oh. Yeah, but I told him I loved him first. I'm so <laughs> upset true. at that. That is true. That's true. It was a few hours earlier. Uh, we were in the stand. We were watching. And we look at each other and we're like, dude, I fucking I love, love you, you, bro. And we almost kissed with dear passion in our eyes. It was burning with fire. It, it will never go away, that moment. That was a great it's, night. It's Holy. everything. Yeah, that was such a beautiful night, though, man. That's five questions. That's all I got to give, my friends. I'm, yes. I'm, Thank you, I'm Pete out. Godwin, for being on the Cuz I Have To podcast. You Ooh. are living your dreams, and we thank you for that. Thanks for Yeah, man. Me. Love you guys. Welcome to the Afterpod. Afterpod, Afterpod. Where we talk about our guests after they leave. And Let me tell you of... something. Now, go. a lot of my family will listen to this, and they know Pete, and we they both sure knew Pete. Was there any part of you that thought this podcast would be what it ended up being, this episode? Uh, no. I mean, it was like really, it got really- It got real. Super. I thought he was just going to talk about wine and food and yeah. you know, crazy I don't even times. think he mentioned wine once. I, I had to bring it up. <laughs> I know. Um. <laughs> It's funny because he was like the epitome of what this podcast is all about. Yeah. Really no. living your passions and the, the the part about connecting with people. Right. Like that's actually everything. That is everything. I know. He, it, oh God, with everything he was saying, I wanted to add on and elaborate to that. But I was just like kind of in the Let moment with him. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I know because it's so easy to be like, ah, oh, let me, and you just want to jump in real quick, but so there, yeah, there's a big part of finding your dharma and your passion. You know, sometimes you think it's a career, and it's yeah. actually, 
I would say, who are you being and who are you being with others? Every right. single, like every single person in your life, as he mentioned, you know, I went and bought a shed and I had this insane connection with the guy selling me the shed. Yeah. It does make me realize, I know you know this, but I, know. I, <laughs> I go in, I need to buy something, I buy it, I'm out. I don't want to waste yeah. any time. I Go to aisle 12, thing. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's I not know. here? I'm gone. I don't want to talk to someone about it. I'm leaving. I'm going to find it somewhere else. And it's really making me realize, here's a shocker, everybody, that I need to connect with people more. Yeah. I need to waste my time talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing, though, is that you think it's a waste of time. I know. Right? So it's not right. that you don't want to connect with people. Right. You just don't, quote, unquote, have the time because it's a waste. When really, I mean, my old look, self twelve self seconds in way. and out, you're done. That's it. We move on to the next, <laughs> the twelve second rule. That's how you've been taught and you've learned by. Yes, you know what's <laughs> funny? We've been noticing this a lot lately. So yeah. I worked at ninety two three K Rock in New York, following Howard Stern. And oh, did you? That's weird. Steve Kingston <laughs> was my boss, and I'm not. I'm not necessarily putting this on Steve, but we were taught to get in and get out literally to do eight to 12 second breaks and be uh. funny and have a personality <laughs> so that is i think how i've lived my whole life you're in you're out you do what you got to do be funny boom you're out and That's i'm it. realizing to some extent like even with the podcast you know in the beginning i really wanted to keep these short i'm and now i'm i'm opening up to I mean, this is our longest podcast with Pete, but everything we talked about was so interesting. Right. So I'm just going to let it go. You know what that's, I mean? Which That's, how, that's so yes. funny. We'll talk about like perfectionism. I have to let it go. I got to let it go <laughs> let and let this go. be an hour long. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Don't make me sing Frozen every episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> so, I only saw that movie like a year or two ago. Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> so that's my... There was so literally there's so much in this episode from him that I want to he I, I I was t like tears were going down my face. I, like totally. I was crying when he was yeah. talking. <laughs> I know. Well, again, he just use and OK, I got to throw in the video to do these podcasts really makes that something special. Oh, my gosh. So we started out doing the podcast without video. We were just going on online and talking yeah. to people just in our headphones, but really seeing their expressions and and also just and you the see the passion, though. You don't yeah. just hear it. You see it yeah. and you feel it. And you're like, right. oh, and you are that much more involved, which I'm just like, oh, yeah. my God. It makes it so much better. Yeah. So, yeah, so, now so we that is. see each other and it's it's really changed everything. Right. But, but, but I mean, that's uh, why you were touched. That's why you cried. That's why you had tears. I mean, I started to get emotional, too. I didn't tear, but watching him talk and speak and just getting the whole picture of what he was saying, you're just like, oh, my God. And I mean, him saying, like, gosh, what we're it, it's really touching to me. Yeah. That I'm gonna start crying again. <laughs> <laughs> that you know, Cry. like a lot of people just are like, "Oh, you're doing a podcast? How original!" You know, because everyone has a podcast. But like, I really believe in this podcast yeah. because there's so many people living their passion, and there's so many people who aren't who are just waking up every day. And I mean, I still have days where I'm like, "Ugh, 
But then it's like, it's funny just to bring something personal with today. I woke up and I was like, oh, you know, I had a voiceover lesson. Then we had this podcast and I was like, oh, I have so many things I have to do today. And yeah. we literally did an eight minute yoga session. Just a quick little thing to get your body moving. And it changed my whole demeanor and energy. And that is another thing that's like, like, it's life changing. And then we do... What are you, are you looking at? Sorry, right no, I was I was trying to look for the. It was uh, the the yoga was called yoga to get the juices flowing, and it was eight <laughs> minutes. All yoga it took was Adrian eight minutes, and YouTube. our spirits it were changed free everything and lifted. And then yeah, I, I had my voiceover session, and it went really well, and I felt great. Yeah, you and rocked then, it, didn't you? Get an award or something? Uh, so I did this lesson, uh, a nonfiction audiobook narration, with Sean Pratt, and. Um, so twice now, he has a student hall of fame. And my work is going to the student hall of fame for a second time. Which just means I did my homework really well. And it made me feel really But proud that says something. That shows something. And but we could thank Adrian for that one, too. Yes. And <laughs> I don't think she had anything to do with the homework. But No, no. Just anyway. the happiness that you brought towards your lesson, I think. Yeah. And then talking to Pete and just him. You know, it's not that we're looking for confirmation we're doing this for ourselves but also yeah. to help others you know i really hope we help one person try something new and and find a new passion but it's really nice to hear like pete saying like god what you guys are doing is really really important and it just yeah it really, I know. It, it really warms my heart it's because it gives us validation though too not we're not even seeking for that we're just doing this in hopes that people can share a similar thing that we feel or want to feel or yeah. looking for or whatever uh, which is why we say at the end of every episode please reach out to us don't be afraid if you are cool i want you to reach out to us more you know share your story give us some info we want to hear it all yeah. I mean, like Pete is just the perfect example that makes us go, holy shit, that, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And going beyond, like I said, beyond it being necessarily a career or something you're paid for, just a way of life, a way of living that uh, whatever. Really, we it, don't right. have much time on this planet. Yeah. And, and making every moment count. That's right. Thank you, and Pete that's, Godwin. No kidding, Petey. Dude, we love you so freaking much, man. My God. <laughs> he loves you a lot yeah, more. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you can't... Uh, <laughs> Robbie's <laughs> How can you resist? Am I right, Petey? Pete? All right. Well, that was a great episode. Thank you for tuning into the Afterpod. Yes, thank you. Kisses, cuddles, hugs for life. Thanks for listening to the Cause I Have To podcast. The best way you can help us is share the show. Tell people about it. Also, subscribe, like, leave us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Instagram at Cause I Have To podcast and email us, especially if you know someone living their dharma and you think they'd be a great guest on the show. It's Cause I Have To podcast at Gmail. And oh, we do love those voice messages. You can leave us one at anchor.fm slash Cause I Have To. Keep living those dreams, friends, because you have to. Till next time.